0: As we worship together today, we turn as always to the Word of God for our guidance. A bit of an unusual sermon this morning, perhaps not so much in style as in topic. A sermon about sermons, preaching about listening to preaching. A sermon that I've entitled Sermons for All Seasons, and take my text from the second letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 2 the first 13 verses. Hear the word of God. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is the word of the Lord. Super Bowl Sunday. Now, I'm fully aware that that is not what we are remembering today. But I would like you to remember Super Bowl Sunday anyway. It is not always a favorite with pastors One pastor said about Super Bowl Sunday, it is the Easter of American civil religion. Glitzy, garish, self-important, with not enough substance to fill a thimble. While you're thinking about Super Bowl Sunday, see if you can go back to Super Bowl Sunday 1978. I am aware enough of how much some people love football, that I could be reasonably certain that there are those who are listening to me refer to Super Bowl Sunday 1978 and remember the details of it without much hesitation at all. The Denver Broncos were playing the Dallas Cowboys. Now, as you know, the broadcast starts hours before the game. And a good deal of the hype and hoopla before that game centered around a Denver player by the name of Craig Morton, who had announced recently he had become a Christian. He had been born again. He had met the Lord. A lot of people were happy about it, but there were sports writers who were poking fun of it and laughing about it. There was a cartoon in a Dallas newspaper that showed God in a Denver sweatshirt cheering on his team from on high and a headline in a New York newspaper that said, Morton, the Lord calls my audibles. But Denver lost to Dallas, 27 to 10. Morton's passing Efforts that day were awful. His stats were terrible. Four of 15 for 39 yards. Four interceptions. The whole game that he played, he was trying to make contact with Haven Moses, Denver's wide receiver, but the two couldn't connect. They couldn't do anything right. And in the fourth quarter, Morton was taken out of the game. At the end of the game, he was seen to be sitting on the team bench with his head down and a big towel over his face. Disappointed and humiliated. Lewis Lutz was, at the time, the pastor of the Morningside Reformed Church in Sioux City, Iowa. Later, he would come to serve Central Reformed Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But he wrote an article about this football game. And in it, he said, There sat Craig Morton. He found the Lord, but he couldn't find Moses. And then he added, The Reformed church needs ministers who have found the Lord and who can find Moses. That is, good practice must be wed to good theology. Expertise must accompany spiritual authenticity. It's not enough in the ministry to find the Lord. You must also find Moses. I think Paul was telling Timothy in the second chapter of his second letter to Timothy to be sure to find Moses that it wasn't enough just to know the Lord. He needed to know how to serve the Lord and what it was the Lord wanted him to do. And I think Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is addressing us this day and saying much the same thing. You need to know the Lord, but you need also to know what the Lord wants you to do and how to do it. That will be the burden of this sermon. Paul said, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Or as the message puts it, pass on what you have heard from me, the whole congregation saying amen to reliable leaders who are competent to teach others. Paul is talking about hearing the word. The things you have heard me say is what he refers to. And of course, one of the primary ways to hear the word of God is through preaching. I determined that whatever could be done up here in the way of furnishings, this morning I was going to make sure that there was a pulpit to stand behind since it represented the way most of us, at least, are familiar with preaching and grew up with it. Think about it as I stand here behind this piece of furniture this morning and talk to you about preaching. And hear me say, as a preacher who has been at it for close to 50 years now, I have been disappointed over the years, that in the English language at least, the verb preach is often an insult. Don't preach at me, people will say. Or someone will say apologetically, I'm sorry if this sounds like preaching, but, and then go on with something. And that's not a new attitude. Back in 1857, a man by the name of Anthony Trollope wrote, There is perhaps no greater hardship at present inflicted on mankind in civilized and free countries than the necessity of listening to sermons. Henry Nowen found that sentence and quoted it in his book Creative Ministry and then said, what I want you all to hear. The more amazing it is, therefore, that there are still so many preachers who want to preach and so many people who are willing to listen. The fact that the verb itself is an insult more often than anything else, and that for centuries people have been tired of preaching, Makes it all the more amazing that there are people still preaching today, that this preaching is going on, that while you are not seated in this room as usual, you are seated somewhere or reclining somewhere listening to a sermon. Why is this so? Now and asked. Perhaps because people today, just as much as a century ago, have a lasting desire to come to such an insight into their own condition and the condition of the world that they can be free to follow Christ. I want to say, why did you come here this morning? But it is neither morning nor did you come here. It's Thursday afternoon as I record this, and nobody's sitting in these pews but why did you tune in to listen? Why are you participating in worship now? What did you hope to get from it? Was it to learn something you didn't know before? There are probably better ways to learn and no doubt better teachers. Was it to hear something you had never heard before? That's probably not going to happen. Was it to settle a huge theological or interpretational difference? I don't think that will be happening. Or was it just to hear again, and remember again, and celebrate again, the things that Paul said, the things that Timothy heard from Paul, and committed himself again to practice to practice what he heard preached. That could happen, and in my judgment, it must. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians about his preaching, first of all, from the NIV. You will be familiar with these words, probably. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And if that wasn't clear and direct enough, then listen to the same words from the message. You will remember, friends, that when I came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. I was unsure of how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want the truth of it, And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Is that what you came to this service of worship, to experience? Is that why you came to do what, for centuries, people have been saying, along with that Anthony Trollope, is the greatest hardship inflicted on mankind, listening to something like this? Paul was brilliant, but he was not impossible to understand. Paul was summa cum laude, but he was also simple. Paul held the equivalent of a Harvard Divinity School PhD, but he could talk to the common person. Remember Jesus Christ, he wrote in verse 8, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. That's not just a word to hear or know or remember or discuss, or debate, or argue. It is a word to listen to, and to accept, and to believe, and to live out. And you are listening today, I hope and pray, to remember again the commitment you made, or ought to be making, to have that word become a part of your life because you want Jesus Christ to be part. Of your life by knowing the Lord and yet not missing Moses to put it in terms of the illustration with which I began Uh, another line may help us get at the truth of what I'm trying to say right now it comes from Saint Francis of Assisi who is reputed to have said on one occasion preach the gospel at all times if necessary Use words. If we don't preach without words, then the words we use when we do preach won't amount to much of anything. This message, Paul reminds Timothy, you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Now, as you can imagine, ever since Paul said the presence of many witnesses, people have been trying to figure out who the witnesses were and what they witnessed. Were these people who were present when Timothy professed his faith in Jesus Christ? Were these people who were present when hands were laid on Timothy and he was ordained into the ministry as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Were were these witnesses people who had actually heard the Apostle Paul preach in person? What a privilege. I... Suppose it was some sort of combination of all of those things, but to debate about who the witnesses were, who was, and therefore who wasn't present, is to miss altogether the significance of the word witness. A Taoist philosopher by the name of Chuang Tzu wrote once, the purpose of a fish trap is to catch fish. And when the fish are caught, the trap is forgotten. The purpose of a rabbit snare is to catch rabbits. When the rabbits are caught, the snare is forgotten. The purpose of the word is to convey ideas. When the ideas are grasped, the words are forgotten. Where can I find a man who has forgotten words. He's the one I'd like to talk to. you understand what he was saying? Chuang Tzu is looking for someone who can get beyond words. Not learn how to do without them, but not to stop at them, but to go past words to meanings and implications and applications, and behavior. Such people are witnesses. And it's not just those who have the equivalent of a PhD that finds them standing behind a pulpit to preach. It is not just those who have witnessed the ordination of Timothy or someone else into the ministry. It is not just those who have officiated at a profession of faith or more than one. Witnesses are people who have gotten beyond words to meaning and beyond knowing to experiencing and behaving. Ordinary folks in the pews in ordinary times, now perhaps in your living room or your family room, or maybe even in your bedroom, propped up against a pillow. But ordinary people who have heard the word of God and are ready to say, as one commentator put it, these words are true and I know it because I have found it so in my life. And that lifts the whole concept of witness past those who have special qualifications and degrees and experiences and applies it to all God's people who have heard what God has to say. People perhaps as unlikely even as Johnny Cash. Remember him? In the magazine Contemporary Christian Music several years back, John Fisher wrote about the man in black. And said, those who embrace him are in for a real surprise. Better get ready for the gospel. I mean the old one. The one that talks about things like the blood of Jesus and sin and redemption. Now I'm going to interrupt myself at this point and say, remember Paul? I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now back to Fisher. All those uncomfortable old religious phrases and concepts contemporary Christian writers have been trying to avoid for years. Does anyone find it ironic that the world outside of the Christian subculture would start hearing about the blood of Jesus from an aging country music star? Isn't that just like the Lord? Though it is gospel, it is not likely to be a gospel that will please many sinners or saints. The gospel, according to Johnny Cash, is a gospel of the street. It is the gospel of redemption. And as such, it is only for those who see themselves in need of it. It is the gospel for buzzards and codgers and cheats and scoundrels and prisoners and reprobates. Hardly a gospel for neat, squeaky-clean churchgoers. It is a gospel perhaps too religious for some sinners and too sinful for some saints. Johnny Cash said basically what the Apostle Paul said. There's no hope for anyone outside the blood of Jesus. And then he sang it in a song you may know. From the hands, it came down. From the side, it came down. From the feet, it came down and ran to the ground. Between heaven and hell, a teardrop fell. In the deep crimson dew, the tree of life grew. And the blood gave life to the branches of the tree. And the blood was the price that set the captives free. And the numbers that came through the fire and the blood clung to the tree and were redeemed by the blood whether they have a Harvard PhD or not, whether they've had hands laid on them and been ordained or not, whether they stand on a platform every Sunday behind a pulpit or not. The witnesses are those who have heard and believed, including people Fisher described as buzzards and codgers and scoundrels and cheats, who say, as anyone who has ever heard the voice of God must say, these words are true, and I know it, because I have found it so in my life. These, we, are the witnesses. Now, says Paul to Timothy, and to all the special witnesses, and to all of us who are also witnesses, I'm entrusting this word to Timothy, who will be able to teach others. And I want you to know that to entrust means more than simply to shout out the good news over a room full of people and let them do what they please with it. To entrust, one commentator wrote, always implies the situation of one who has to take a long journey and who deposits his money and other valuables with a friend, trusting him to restore it on his return. Paul is taking the word and entrusting it to Timothy, who in turn is to take that same word and entrust it to others, who are in turn to take that word and entrust it to still others, so that all who have heard and believed are the witnesses. Now, now what does that mean for us? An evangelist of whom you may have heard, uh, someone by the name of Ravi Zacharias, was interviewed once about what the priorities of the church in this century ought to be, and he said, the top one is this. We need more than anything else today to return to the authority, the nobility, and the depth of the scriptures. The word of God is powerful, like a lion let out of the cage, as Calvin said. We have forgotten that. We have sort of watered it down or dressed it up to look like a pop theory for our times, but it will not work. As someone has said, if you are married to the spirit of the age, you will be left in divorce in the next generation. So how will we let the lion out of the cage? That will mean that we will more and more want Jesus to live in us and through us. That will mean that we will more and more want to talk with Jesus and about Jesus to others. That will mean more and more that we will be asking him not just Tell me how to hear what you said, but what it means and what it calls me to and how I ought to be like you. That will mean that we will try more and more to do what Paul urged the Ephesians to do, to be imitators of God. And I submit to you today that if being or trying to be imitators of God doesn't let the lion out of the cage... I don't know what will. But if we practice what we hear preached, the Lion of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, will be unleashed in us and into others through us. But until we let that lion out of the cage completely, we have not really been hearing God's word. Craig Morton met the Lord. But in 1978, at least, he couldn't find Moses. Which brings me, finally, to Moses. Not Haven Moses, but Moses Moses. Biblical Moses. He was a man who heard the word of the Lord, but he didn't just hear it. He listened to it. He struggled with it. He conversed with God about it. He cultivated a relationship with God on the basis of it. And one day the Lord himself said, and it's recorded in Numbers chapter 12, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of Of the Lord. Let's pray that we will not only meet Moses, but become more and more like Moses, and therefore more and more like God. And that we will meet the Lord face to face and hear him speaking to us and shaping and molding us every time we gather together for worship. And that those who meet us, buzzards and codgers and scoundrels and cheats, though we are sometimes, will hear us preaching the gospel always, using words if necessary, and letting the lion out of his cage to continue his rampage of love now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, for communicating with us, for speaking to us, for letting us hear your will. Now give us the grace not only to hear but to listen, not only to know what you say but to do what you say, to put it into practice in our lives And as Paul put it so frighteningly, become imitators of God. Through the power of Jesus Christ at work in us. In his name we ask it. Amen. Go now in peace. And may the God of peace himself give you peace. At all times and in all places. The Lord